Well, good morning, everybody. I um, want to welcome you uh, to our, our online service. I uh, want to say, I guess, especially this morning, uh, welcome to those of you who are watching at home. Uh, welcome to those of you who are watching in the Sandal Centre. Uh, we're kind of taking baby steps towards, we're, we're looking forward to the day when we can all be together in one place and we're taking baby steps in that direction. But wherever you're watching from this morning, uh, we're glad that you're, you're here. And I guess now more than ever, we want to encourage all of us to find our togetherness in listening to God's word together and in uh, the gospel of Jesus. Um, and so we're going to come to God's word uh, now this morning. Uh, I want to, um, prob probably a story I refer to from time to time. It's one of those ones that's been important for me. Uh, in the, the beginning of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, when the kids first enter Narnia, they start to hear about this lion called Aslan. Uh, and the, the hairs in the back of their neck start to stand up a little bit and they, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of naturally a little afraid as they hear that this lion is coming closer and is on the move and is uh, coming towards them. And of course, the question that they ask is, is he quite safe? And the answer that they're given is safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Um, later in the Narnia books, uh, someone else uh, says about Aslan that he's not a tame lion. Uh, and I guess that's kind of where I want to begin, because uh, maybe I want to suggest right at the beginning that sometimes our image of Jesus is too safe, uh, a bit bland, a bit boring, a bit beige. Um, and I want to maybe try this morning to do something about that um, and see if we can reconsider uh, who Jesus is, because I think this makes a huge difference in our lives. When our image of Jesus is too safe and too bland, that has an impact on the way uh, that we live. Um, I, I should say at the beginning, uh, this is kind of a, a reworked version of a talk I gave in the university. The students um, asked me to come and speak on this topic uh, this year. Um, so I've kind of reworked that for us uh, this morning. I have to confess these things to you. Um, whenever we talk about Jesus, um, I wonder what titles come to mind that we most commonly use in describing Jesus. Um, I would guess probably the most common ones are we talk about Jesus as the Son of God. Or we talk about Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ. Those are probably the most common. But if I was to ask you, what, what is by far the title that Jesus most often uses for himself? The answer is the, the Son of Man. That is by far the most common title that Jesus uses of himself. Um, and I guess I want to ask, why, why does Jesus use that title for himself? Um, and maybe our first thought might be that he's underlining his humanity. Um, and that is a, a hugely important thing. Um, all the, the early creeds of the, the Christian faith talk about how Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that's really important that he, he didn't just pretend to be human. He knows from the inside what it's like to be human. He got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he felt sadness, he wept, he suffered, he bled. He died. His humanity is tremendously important. But I want to suggest maybe something surprising that at least in the first instance, 
I don't think that's what's going on when Jesus calls himself son of man. Um, and I want to kind of go on a little bit of a detective investigation with you to try and show you uh, why I think that's true. We'll come back to his humanity a little bit later on uh, and we'll get there. Uh, but I want to start somewhere else. If you do your detective work um, and go reading in the Gospels and look for times when Jesus uses this phrase and calls himself the Son of Man, uh, maybe start with Mark's Gospel, uh, which was the earliest one that was written, um, you'll start to notice that it's not used primarily in contexts that emphasize his humanity, but actually in contexts that emphasize his authority. And that's kind of a surprise. So a couple of examples, Mark 2, uh, he says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Uh, or a little bit later in the same chapter, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he uses this title, the Son of Man. He's talking about his authority. Um, and you'll also start as you investigate to notice Jesus using this title when he talks about his future return in glory. So again, a couple of examples, Mark 13. He says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Uh, or Mark 14, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So actually, this is maybe not what we expected. Uh, the Son of Man is being used by Jesus in contexts that are about uh, authority and about coming in, in power and glory. There is one other kind of context where Jesus often uses it. Um, and that's a little bit different. That's when Jesus is talking about his suffering and death. Mark 8, 31, it says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Or in Mark 10, where he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, maybe we'll leave that third bunch of texts aside for now and we'll come back to it. Um, but where do those other two bunches of texts lead us to? Um, where, where the Son of Man is about authority and about coming in glory with the clouds. Uh, and actually, I think they lead us to one very special passage in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and maybe, you may have noticed this morning, I'm not using images, and maybe it's a little bit deliberate because this is such a vivid scene that whenever people try to paint it or depict it in artwork, uh, it can only, I think, kind of end up being a bit cheesy or a bit rare. Um, I, I think it's better to let uh, the, the, the words of Daniel 7 kind of spark your own imagination rather than uh, kind of drain the life out of it with someone else's picture. Um, and so I want you to try to imagine this. Daniel has a dream and he sees a succession of four beasts that are all strange and grotesque and frightening. And there's talk about these beasts eating flesh and crushing and devouring and trampling underfoot. It's pretty kind of graphic stuff. Uh, later, we're told that those beasts represent kings who will rise on the earth. So it's kind of a picture of power that is brutal and uncaring and beastly. Uh, that tramples on people and tears them apart. And then 
Daniel is given an amazing vision. And it says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And it says, His throne was flaming with fire, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Um, you can see why this is hard to depict in a, in a painting. Um, and then it says this. This is where we get to the Son of Man. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's a very strange, powerful passage. But I wonder, can you start to see, when Jesus calls himself Son of Man, he's not primarily telling us that he's human like us. He's actually revealing his true identity for those with ears to hear. That all authority and glory and dominion has been given to him. That he is our true and rightful king. And the appropriate response is to worship him. To kneel before him and give him our allegiance. So in a sense, when we hear son of man, we should hear a little bit of thunder in the background and fire. Um, it's not a, a tame uh, title that Jesus uses of himself. Um, and funny enough, it, it crops up again when we get to the end of our Bible in Revelation 1, where John is given a vision of one like a son of man. Uh, and you can go and read that vision later on. Uh, it's, a, it's a very famous one where it, uh, it talks about his eyes are blazing fire and his voice like the sound of many waters and he holds stars in his hands and has a sword in his mouth and his face is shining like the sun in all its brilliance and when John sees him he falls at his feet as though dead that's the son of man um, and so I wonder as, as we think about this title of son of man and what kind of lies behind it as we think about Daniel 7 and Revelation 1 I wonder if we can ask the question if sometimes our image of Jesus is too tame and too safe. Um, Dorothy Sayers, wonderful writer, um, says we have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. That's kind of what we've done with Jesus, we've tried to make him tame and make him safe and cuddly uh, for people. Um, and I wonder, do we need, I think we do, we need Daniel 7 and Revelation 1 to kind of pull back the veil and show us Jesus in his glory and his brightness and his majesty. Uh, a bit like those, there's, there's those moments kind of scattered through the Gospels when the disciples, as they're going about their lives with Jesus, get a, get a glimpse of his power, of what he's capable of. And they say things like, get away from me, Lord, or who is this? Um, and they fall very often on their, on their knees uh, or on the ground in response. Um, so that's a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes with this title of the Son of Man. Um, let's go back for a minute. Uh, we're gonna get back to the humanity of Jesus. Let's go back to Daniel 7. 
You remember those beastly kingdoms uh, that remind us that all human rulers and leaders and power structures end up becoming abusive and controlling and uncaring and cruel. Even the ones that start off well end up going in that direction. They all end up disappointing us. They all end up breaking our hearts. Um, And there's something about, uh, we talked about Daniel back near the beginning of lockdown, and there's something about these visions in Daniel that I think are especially relevant to our cultural moment right now. Um, I can't remember a time when people in our culture were so disillusioned with rulers of every kind, uh, and there's a, a loss of respect and trust for leaders. Certainly that's true in politics, as people look around and wonder where there's a political leader they can follow or trust. Um, it's true maybe also in business and economics and in media, um, and also if we're honest in religion and the church. Uh, people have lost confidence in leaders and wonder who they can follow and who they can trust. Uh, and I think we find ourselves at a time like this asking, where is there a leader I can trust, one I can follow? Uh, our, our hearts actually long for a king we can give our allegiance to. Uh, one who is not just powerful, but also good, because we've had our fill of beastly empires. Um, and now I wonder, can you see how we're coming back to the humanity of Jesus? Because as Daniel looks in his vision, after all those grotesque beasts, what does Daniel see? He sees one like a son of man. And so the two things are both there. On the one hand, he has all authority and glory and power. But on the other hand, here is one like an ordinary human being. And I wonder, can you see how this kind of points us to the heart of the beauty of the gospel? That Jesus is the true king of humanity and all creation. He was in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to cling on to. But he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born a human being. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even the most shameful death on a cross. And he came all the way down. He came near and he took on our human flesh and our weakness and our fragility. He became literally breakable. He came and lived among us. He ate with us. He stooped and washed our feet. He wept with us. He bled for us. He died for us. And so the Son of Man suffered and was rejected and was killed. The Son of Man, although he had all glory and power and dominion, did not come to be served. Isn't that astonishing? Uh, Although he deserves all our worship and service, he doesn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for us to set us free. I guess I want to suggest the earth has never seen a king like this, Uh, the humble king, the servant king, the suffering king. Uh, The son of man is unimaginably glorious and powerful and majestic, but he is also stooped unimaginably low to bring us life. He has come unimaginably near in his humanness. Um, And so I guess uh, maybe those are some kind of big 
uh, thoughts this morning and some big visions from Daniel one and Revelation or Daniel seven and Revelation one. Uh, but I guess really at heart, what I want to say to you this morning is something very simple. That as we look at Jesus uh, this morning, this is a king you can trust with your life. Um, he's not safe. He's not tame. There's nothing boring or bland or beige about him. But he's good. Um, there's nothing boring about him at all. His eyes are fire. He has a sword in his mouth. And yet he has come near to serve you and to give his life for you and to look for you and to set you free and to bring you home. This is a king we can trust with our lives. Uh, and maybe my mind keeps going back to Daniel because uh, our world is full of uncertainty right now. Um, and I think in times like these, we look around for something to hold on to and we look for someone we can trust. And we ask, where will we place our confidence? Um, and maybe right now there are lots of voices uh, that compete for our attention and our allegiance. And some of them are very loud voices in media and social media and in our world. Um, where do we put our confidence? Do we put our trust in a political leader? Um, if so, which one? Um, do we put our trust in science and medicine? Do we put our trust in business leaders and economics? Do we put our trust in religious leaders? Uh, the ones who are most confident telling us what to do and where to go. Um, I want to, I guess I want to suggest as we, as we scan the world and hear all these loud voices and as we look for someone to follow and someone to trust, here is one like a son of man and he stands quietly and he doesn't raise his voice and he looks like an ordinary, unremarkable man and maybe he looks tired and his feet are dusty and his eyes are full of tears and his lip is bleeding and he's got a black eye. And he says, the son of man has come to give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. I want to suggest this quiet one who looks so unremarkable as he stands among us um, is a king you can trust with your life. And maybe I want to encourage you as I finish, um, maybe really simply that this is a good time in our lives to recalibrate our vision of Jesus. Um, and maybe I want to encourage you to pray two really simple things this week. Um, I want to encourage you to pray that Jesus would give you a glimpse of his glory, of his majesty, of his power. Just pull back the veil a little bit so you see something of what Daniel saw and what John saw in Revelation. But also, secondly, this, that Jesus would give you a sense of his goodness, that he is good, that he is for you, that he is one you can trust with your life. Um, I want to encourage you, those are two very simple prayers, but I think very powerful uh, that you can pray as you uh, go into your week. Um, so let's pray together as we finish. And then we're going to sing uh, one more time. Father, I want to pray you'd forgive us when uh, we, we make our, our image of Jesus in our minds and hearts too small and too boring and too bland and too safe. And I want to pray where that has happened, that you would come and shatter 
those mental idols that we've created. Um, that you would maybe even shake us up a little bit with a sense of the reality of who you are and who Jesus is. But I also want to pray uh, for every single one of us as we uh, are connecting and tuning in this morning. I want to pray that we would know that this King of unimaginable glory is one we can trust with our lives, is one who will never hurt us or harm us, is one who will never act in a beastly way towards us, but is always for us and for our good and for our flourishing and for our wholeness and for our healing. Um, I want to thank you that you are good. I want to pray you'd help us to put our confidence and our trust in you again uh, in these days more than ever. Uh, And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Just as we we finish, uh, maybe one last thing. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about how, especially in these days, um, we need to really offer grace to each other um, and and be patient with each other and bear with each other, um, practice the gospel together. Um, And so although I know it's not a tradition here in MCF, I thought, at least this week, and maybe we'll do it other weeks as well. Um, it'd be good to finish by just saying the grace together. Um, maybe if you're in the Sandal Centre, you can look at those around you as you say it. If you're at home, you can bring to mind uh, the scattered church wherever we are uh, this morning. Uh, but let's say uh, the words of the grace together, if you can remember them. Um, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.